Welcome to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. I'm leaning forward, my chest pressed against the fuel tank. My eyes settle on the small instrument panel, taking in the road ahead. I feel the wind buffeting my helmet as it rises over the windscreen, and I hunker down lower to present as little drag as possible to the windstream. I twist my wrist, rolling on the throttle. The sweet, screaming song of the engine rises in pitch. I see a corner approaching. Anticipating, I adjust my body position. Very slightly, my weight shifts to the right, and I lean in. Easing off the throttle, I look through the corner to its apex and beyond, carefully judging my balance. The pressure on the steering bar, imperceptible, yet deliberate. Controlled. Trees, bushes, fence posts flash by. The painted white dashes blur into an unbroken line, urging me on. I recognise features, but their details are unrecognisable. The bike straightens as I look ahead to the next corner and shift my weight to the left, dipping slightly. I repeat the process, a little tighter this time. I ease in a touch of brake. My actions are automatic. I do not think of each turn and each movement. I simply absorb the patterns and respond. My body and mind are at one with the motorcycle. And in that moment, I am not me. I am no one. Soon, the road straightens, a town appears up ahead, and a speed sign reminds me to back off and decelerate. I sit up. The slowing wind strikes my chest. The engine wind settles to a gravelly purr. I lift my helmet visor, feel the breeze in my face, and begin to relax. I return from that place to this reality. As distractions press upon my mind, the spell is broken. I am me again. Have you ever felt this way? So totally immersed in something that you have lost all sense of yourself, of time, of everything. You may have felt it while running, surfing or rock climbing, or while writing, painting, or playing music. This loss of self happens to us in many settings and is something of a universal experience in life that does not discern between culture, gender, or background. We all share the ability to lose ourselves in the action of carrying out a task or in the living of an experience. We describe this state as being in the zone, being dialed in, being hyper-focused or on form. This state is called flow. Flow is a state of optimal performance, of concentration and focus. It was first described scientifically and in detail by Hungarian-American psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi back in 1975. He spent many years studying the phenomenon and realised that flow is a ubiquitous quality unique to the human experience. Perhaps, he suggested, it is even that holiest of grails, the answer to the meaning of life. We search for happiness and pleasure, thinking that we will derive fulfilment from satisfying our urges. Csikszentmihalyi says that pleasure is an important component of the quality of life, but by itself, it does not bring happiness. Sleep, rest, food and sex provide restorative homeostatic experiences that return consciousness to order after the needs of the body intrude 
and cause psychic entropy to occur. But they do not produce psychological growth. They do not add complexity to the self. Pleasure helps to maintain order, but by itself, it cannot create new order in consciousness. We have spoken before about suffering. It is a reality of life that to be in a state of calm contentment is rare. We are either hungry or full or cold or hot, on our way to obtaining a goal, but not there yet. And no sooner have we reached a goal, that hello destination, that our equilibrium is disturbed and we are on the search for peace and fulfilment yet again. Understanding that the state of dissatisfaction in life is integral to it is a starting point for understanding how to modify our perceptions so we can find that sense of inner peace despite our constant lack of happiness. To do so requires reframing our perceptions, and as we'll discuss in this episode, embracing flow. In flow, all that matters is the moment, our focus, and what we are immersed in. Time, worry, fears, the future and the past cease to exist in those moments of pure flow. We become one with the present and with the activity we are engaged in. Csikszentmihalyi discovered in his research that happiness is not something that happens. It is not the result of good fortune or random chance. It is not something that money can buy or power can command. It does not depend on outside events, but rather on how we interpret them. Happiness, he says, is a condition that must be prepared for, cultivated, and defended privately by each person. People who learn to control inner experience will be able to determine the quality of their lives, which is as close as any of us can come to being happy. And these moments of happiness usually occur when a person's body or mind is stretched to its limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. And when the mind and body are stretched in this way, it can reach that transcendent state of consciousness known as flow. When in flow, we become detached from our fears and anxieties, our hopes and dreams. We just are. In that moment, we are totally absorbed by what we are doing, and it feels great. Things click, and we are in our element. We think of happiness as a place we'll reach once we fulfill our desires, when we have the things we want, but we either suffer in the struggle to get there, or if we do make it, we realize that our satisfaction is short-lived and the bar has been raised. No, happiness is not found in the pursuit or attainment of material goals. It exists in the flow state when none of those things matter. Author Stephen Kotler, who has also spent a lot of time thinking about flow, writes in his book The Rise of Superman, Decoding the Science of Ultimate Human Performance, that researchers now believe flow sits at the heart of almost every athletic championship. It underpins major scientific breakthroughs and accounts for significant progress in the arts. World leaders have sung the praises of flow. Fortune 500 CEOs have built corporate philosophies around the state. From a quality of life perspective, psychologists have found that the people who have the most flow in their lives are the happiest people on earth. Flow sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So what is it and how do we get there? After interviewing hundreds or perhaps thousands of people from all walks of life, Csikszentmihalyi learned that the language used to describe moments of flow was often the same. Whether a chess player describing the moves of a match or a surgeon explaining a complex procedure she had just completed, or even a rock climber recounting his ascent up a complex rock face, they all describe their immersion in the task using similar language. Flow is therefore not specific to a type of activity, but each activity it emerges from have certain things in common. 
And Chick sent me high described several of these specific but somewhat interdependent criteria necessary to reach the flow state. They're not all required, but at least some of these are found in most examples. And I categorize these according to two key aspects, the mind and the task. And we'll begin by considering the task. Reaching a state of flow requires that the task has certain features. The task must have a goal or purpose, some endpoint or objective. But it is not necessarily the purpose of the task to reach the goal that leads to flow. It is just the fact that there is a goal. In my motorcycle riding example, for instance, there is a macro level goal of reaching the end. But the flow state is not tied to reaching that goal. I am focused instead on the micro goals negotiating each bend smoothly, finding the right balance and line through the curves. A surface goal is to catch the perfect wade and ride it until it fades. And the climber, well, they're heading for the top. But reaching the goal is not the driving force of flow. Flow doesn't begin when the goal is reached. It ends there. The importance of the goal to the flow state, therefore, is that it gives us purpose and direction, a path to travel, literally and metaphorically. And the task must also provide instant feedback. There can be little doubt as to how one is performing. An action-result-correction cycle must exist. I know immediately how well I'm negotiating the bend in the road, just as the surfer feels the wave and the climber moves up the rock face from hold to hold. There is no delayed gratification or uncertainty. To be in flow requires one to know how one is doing in every moment. To be connected to the task without extraneous effort, just to know to feel one is mastering the skill or reaching towards that goal. And the task must also be hard, but not so hard that it is unachievable. While flow comes in varying degrees, flow at its peak is found in the most challenging of tasks, which require total mastery. Found in the sense of triumph over difficulty is intrinsic reward. Each movement towards the goal provides feedback and micro-rewards that drive one onto the next micro-challenge. Linked together into one long, seamless series of challenges and victories, flow is the mental state that links these together. Think of Alex Honnold, for instance. Alex is one of the world's leading rock climbers, with a long list of historic achievements to his name. But what sets him apart from others in the world of professional climbing is that he specialises in free climbing. Free climbing is exactly that. He sets off from the bottom of a rock face, sometimes many hundreds of metres high, and he climbs to the top. No ropes, no support personnel, no equipment, just a chalk bag, a couple of power bars, and his well-worn climbing shoes. Alex's goal is clear, to reach the top, without falling off of course. But when Alex is climbing, he is not thinking about the top. He is concentrating only on the section of the rock face immediately in front of him. Each movement of his arms and legs, his fingers, thumbs and toes are intricately choreographed to propel him from one hole to the next. To observe Alex in his flow state when climbing is to watch someone so fluid and confident in his movements as, as if to appear effortless. And ironically, Alex describes free climbing as freeing. He knows the stakes and he enjoys the smoothness of not having to manage the ropes and carabiners and anchors. He is truly free. It is just him in the wall. He says he can now really climb, unencumbered. He is truly free. Alex began indoor rock climbing at 11 years old and has since spent a lifetime training and completing climbs of ever-increasing difficulty. 
he has now reached a point where he can take on the most challenging climbs in the world and contemplate completing them unaided and with no safety net should he make even one mistake. To have reached this point and to be able to become immersed in this most dramatic of flow states requires extreme skill and an extreme challenge, but more importantly, it requires extreme control over one's mind. The second category is therefore the mind and the power over it. Well, Chick Sentmihai believes flow can be found in all corners of life. To reach these dizzying heights of flow requires a level of skill and proficiency that is unmatched. Like rock climbing where the challenge level is high, the skill level must be apt to reach the goal. If the challenge is too high for our skill, we lose heart and interest, or both, and we can't reach a flow state. Conversely, if skill surpasses the challenge, then we become bored and also fail to reach a flow state. So there needs to be an optimal balance between challenge and skill to push on to such deep levels of concentration. When conditions are just right, task immersion can be maximised and flow ensues. Flow also requires hyper-focus and concentration. But it is concentration without attention. It is an almost unconscious mode of thinking where one is not aware of oneself. The self behind the eyes fades into oblivion. All that remains in its place is pure consciousness, existing in the present moment, totally immersed in the task. And in this place where you no longer exist, neither does time. Time dilates and contracts. Seconds stretch to minutes as time slows down or hours flash by in the blink of an eye. Sensations, sounds, feelings and movements fill consciousness completely. There is no room for worries, fear or anxiety for the past or the future. There is only the here, the now. Csikszentmihalyi found that when in flow, a state of deep immersion and concentration is obtained. And that state is so deep that one loses a sense of self. All sense of everything but the task is lost. Relativity becomes significant only to the actions being performed, moment to moment. You can see this often. When driving, you suddenly realise that you can't remember the last 15 minutes. You were thinking or listening to the radio. Your mind was focused, but elsewhere. Flow extends upon the ability to become lost in thought by channeling attention toward a specific task. It is not daydreaming. It is the opposite. It is being completely present, aware, and focused on reality as it is perceived and happening moment by moment. Really, it is the ultimate form of mindfulness. Scientists have carried out many experiments to understand how the brain changes in the flow state. In one type, the subject wears a special cap connected to a bunch of electrodes plugged into an EEG or electroencephalography machine, which reads electrical brainwave activity. There are five frequencies of brainwaves that correlate to different levels of consciousness. The highest level frequencies are active when the brain is working hard, combining thoughts and stimuli, and these are the gamma and beta waves. As we become more focused and relaxed, our brainwaves slow until at the lower frequencies we're essentially daydreaming, and this state is identified by alpha waves and in the EEG. We go now one step further to REM sleep, or dreaming, and this is characterized by theta waves, and finally in a deep sleep we see slow delta waves in an EEG. Now interestingly, the flow state exists in the region between daydreaming and dream sleep. It's on the border between alpha and theta waves. The zone on the edge of consciousness where the mind is detached and loose, where it's not fully alert yet not fully asleep, that's the place where flow exists. 
More detail can be seen when examining regions of the brain with a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine or fMRI. Basically, an fMRI is like a giant magnet that detects the electrical activity in the brain and presents these on a map of the brain uh, using different colours to indicate areas that are active or quiet. We've talked about the prefrontal cortex before. It's the part of the brain in the front where the thinking happens, the executive function and higher order thoughts and cognitive processing. When a thought pops into your head, it's popping into your PFC. Now, you would think that when in a state of deep concentration, your prefrontal cortex would be singing. All of your senses would be directed toward optimizing cognitive performance in your PFC. But you'd be wrong. When a subject is in a state of flow, say a chess player focused on a match, the PFC shows reduced activity. This is surprising. Surely chess requires all of the decision-making and reasoning power of the PFC. Well, it turns out that a lot of thinking takes place elsewhere in the brain, implicitly. When highly skilled at something, you are not using a lot of conscious effort to think about it. So much has been learned and committed to memory that you rely instead on those earlier formulations. You aren't really thinking, you are remembering and adapting your memories to the specific and well-practiced demands of the task. When we learn to drive, we grind the gears and check our mirrors repeatedly. We go too fast or slow, we find it hard to maintain a consistent speed, and the simple act of selecting the indicator before we reach a corner sends our brain into overload and we turn on the windscreen wipers instead. Our PFC in this case is jammed up, trying to process all of the inputs at once. But after a while, we don't have to think about it anymore. Driving becomes an automatic skill, and we can easily lose those many minutes as we cruise down the highway. Flow is found in this place, where the thinking is happening deep within our brain. It is concentration without attention. It sounds counterintuitive to be immersed, but also not at the same time. The loss of the sense of self can also be traced to a region of the brain known as the superior frontal gyrus. When in flow, this region deactivates. We literally lose our sense of self. The same thing happens in the dorsolateral area of the PFC. This area is responsible for self-monitoring. It's the voice of doubt in your head, the second guessing and the fear and criticism that holds you back. And this is also silenced in flow. Yet not all of the PFC is deactivated. The region responsible for self-expression lights up. Free from the voice that holds you back, the voice of creativity now shines through. This is how the climber can tackle problems with a unique style, or the musician can express themselves through a -a one-of-a-kind solo, or the chess player can execute an intricate creative strategy. We know that the brain works through the transmission of chemical messengers, known as neurotransmitters, and flow has a powerful influence over many of these as well. Stephen Kotler, he describes the five key neurotransmitters released in flow as flow's mighty cocktail. They act synergistically to lift the mind and body to a place of optimal function and performance. The first of these comes from dopamine, which is responsible for the sense of reward and pleasure. You might have heard of it in relation to addiction and bad habits. We crave the dopamine release when we reach for another piece of chocolate or a glass of wine. But dopamine is also released when we face a challenge, a risk or a novel situation. It hones the attention centers of our brain and allows us to focus and increase information processing. It modulates our heart rate and blood pressure and physiological processes that poise us for high-performance tasks. It unlocks our potential and flow. A similar and complementary effect is caused by the neurotransmitter norepinephrine. Norepinephrine triggers our cells to release glucose, which ups our energy levels. 
and in turn it increases our arousal, focus and control of emotions, allowing us to remain focused on a task without distraction. And as we increase focus and attention and exert ourselves physically, endorphins are released which suppress feelings of pain and strain. Endorphins are the body's natural painkiller. They're 100 times more powerful than morphine. They give us a high and hold at bay the feeling of wanting to give up. And then comes anandamide, which is an endogenous, meaning occurring naturally in the body, cannabinoid. It is commonly released during intense exercise and has several functions. Physiologically, it dilates blood vessels and bronchial tubes to increase blood flow and respiration. And cognitively, it elevates mood, masks pain and increases brain function by enhancing lateral thinking and suppressing of fear emotions. The fifth and final neurotransmitter in the flow cocktail is serotonin. Serotonin is often implicated in depression and related antidepressant drugs. Serotonin comes in late to ease us into a state of relaxation and contentment, helping us back down the path from flow to reality. Between the electrical and neurochemical activity in our brain, flow literally induces an altered state of consciousness where we can tap into a well of potential, focus and ability. It is most obvious in elite athletes who have a high level of mastery at a complex task. But can it be accessed by you and me in our daily lives? Well, the short answer is yes, sure it can. By now, you've probably recognised it in your own experiences. You needn't be halfway up a cliff face or halfway down a ski slope to experience flow. Flow is about finding patterns in a complex world of competing influences and distractions. Harnessing flow allows us to see through the noise to pure concentration and focus. An obvious example can be found in our children. They enter a flow state as they learn new ideas. Their immature minds are sponges, ready to absorb information, lessons and patterns of increasing complexity. And as they grapple with these new concepts, they are enraptured. Their enjoyment at mastering a new skill is obvious and infectious. Yet as we age, we forget these formative experiences. Our brain is not the blank canvas it once was. It is somehow less plastic, and our desire for learning and progress has atrophied. But we can remind ourselves of the pleasure to be found in flow by observing children as they grow, and remembering that we too once had such a simplistic and naive outlook. Somewhere within us, we still do. But while the child can find flow and learning only, only the basic elements of life, as adults, we have a broad scope of interests, potentials and capabilities with which to find that sense of satisfaction. In our work, our hobbies, our relationships, in sex and in meditation, we can capitalise on gaining control over our consciousness to propel our enjoyment and happiness forward. One of the easiest entry points to flow is through exercise, as the neurochemicals released are very similar to the flow cocktail. When running, for instance, we can settle into a steady rhythm and become immersed in the sound of our breathing, our footfalls and the repetitive motion of our arms and legs as they propel us forward. I often find myself detached from my body when running, my mind seemingly being carried forward by my body as if on autopilot. But I can also enter this state when writing. The words flow through me onto the page and I'm conscious only of the narrative as it spills out. I'm not aware of time or the world around me. All I see are the words and sentences as they are formed and expressed. It's easy to see why flow gives us such pleasure and enjoyment. Because it arises in those moments when we are doing something we enjoy or love. But we love those activities as much because they induce flow within us as for the activity itself. Flow is addictive and makes us return for more. 
And the better we get, the more flow we experience, and the more we enter flow, the better we get. The cycle is compelling and addictive. It makes us happy. Stephen Kotler outlines a four-step process to enter flow, which he developed from the findings of scientists at Harvard University. It begins with struggle. First, you need to be overloaded and overwhelmed by a challenge. The struggle is hard and the antithesis of flow, but it is necessary to ramp up stress and adrenaline, anxiety and frustration to create the demand for hard work and concentration. And this is followed by release. You need to let go of the struggle. This could be simply going for a walk, detaching from the task and letting your mind wander and relax. You need to let the stress subside and give your mind a chance to reset, to clear out the negative neurochemicals and get ready to enter the flow state. The hard work of the conscious mind is not the place we want to be. We want to get to the subconscious, creative mind. To get there, we need to release. A technique useful in this stage is box breathing. Similar to what I described in the Coping with COVID episode, box breathing is simply breathing around the four sides of a box. You breathe in slowly for five seconds or so, then you hold your breath for five seconds, then breathe out for five seconds, then hold your breath again, and then repeat. Next comes the flow state itself. Return to the task, but with a clear mind, ready to detach from the externalities of life and focus on the present intensely. The mind finds harmony and flow when it has been primed by the struggle and then release. And then finally, recovery. When you leave the flow state, your mind and body are depleted of those precious neurochemical resources. So you need to recharge, get plenty of rest and take in good nutrition to boost your levels back up, ready for the next cycle. So the four steps to the flow cycle are struggle, release, flow and recovery. And it may be useful to find flow when taking on challenges in your life. But maybe you'll just be content in understanding how the state of positive psychology helps athletes and artists achieve high performance and remarkable feats of creativity and skill. And as in life, flow is not about reaching a destination. It is about the journey. Flow emerges from action, not the conclusion. Flow is a superpower that propels human potential to truly remarkable heights, and it exists within the mind as a gift from evolution to all of us. So I encourage you to think about where flow can be found in your life. Perhaps it's something you've known about all along, and now it really just has a name and a scientific basis. Or perhaps it's something you can develop. Flow is truly a pathway to happiness. So seek it out and enjoy it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Here and Now podcast or Twitter at Here Now podcast. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date with all of our latest episodes and be sure to give us a rating at the Apple Podcasts app. You can reach out to me via the pages or at the email, email theherenow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.